So I want to share with you all, um, first off, as I was sitting here, the Lord just kind of gave me a word for, for voices. So if it's okay, I wanted to share this with you. If y'all continue seeking the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind, he will take you places that you will never fathom. You will see people come to know Christ through what he has given you, that voice. And so continue to seek him with everything you have, especially after you leave. When you don't have that group around you, stay strong. Stay strong. Super excited about what God's going to do in all of your lives. And remember, that doesn't mean just prosperity on this world's schemes, this world's level, but it means that we will do mighty things for the kingdom of God and even to the point of suffering for the kingdom of God as we've mentioned. This morning as I come here today, I want to share with you last week I took vacation, praise the Lord, hallelujah, it was amazing. And uh, I told Brother Fred that I was going to prepare and I was going to get ready before I went on vacation and I was just going to let my mind just, just, I was just going to rest. Well, the Lord didn't have that. Uh, the Lord told me I would be preparing my message while I was on vacation, and so he began to give me this word, and I turned my cell phone off. Anybody ever done that before? It's really good to get disconnected for a little while, especially from the digital world, and so I turned my cell phone off, and uh, you know, I, I just spent uh, the week with my wife and kids down at a wonderful place called Disney World. Some of y'all have heard of it, um, and while I was there, the Lord gave me a word. I had no idea what was going on culturally. I turn my phone on on Friday, and guess what I find out is everything that's happened with some decree, and by the way, I'm 31 years old, I've never heard of our president making a decree. Um, I've just never heard that before, but I heard about this decree, and it's so interesting to me. Now listen, my message was put in my heart before I found out about anything that had happened, okay? So what I'm about to share with you is from God. It is not a political message. It is from Him and Him alone. It is what He wants you to hear today. And the title of my message is, What in the World is Going On? The reason is, is when I saw that on Friday, the first thing out of my mouth was, What in the world is going on? Like, really? Like, is this really happening? Is this really taking place? And so the Lord showed me and reminded me of so much that he had already spoken this past week. As I always do, I start with 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, my life verse. So if y'all want to read it with me, I think it will be on the screens. But if not, I'm going to share it with you. My message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of man, but on the power of God. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we get started. Lord, thank you so much for just what you're doing. Lord, we are still worshiping you. Our life is to worship you. We don't stop worshiping after the songs are over. We continue to worship you and you alone. And so God, we just thank you for who you are. And in this moment, God, I pray that you will just speak mightily, that you'll let your words and your breath just go forth in this place. So Lord, we love you and we praise you and we give you all glory and honor for it's in your name. Amen. Let me remind you, as I saw Friday what was taking place, and I saw this decree from our king, I mean our president, and uh, when I saw that, um, what really went in my heart was sin is never satisfied. Anybody agree with that? Think about this for a second. Last June, we saw a ruling that people said, well, this will end the debate. And Mike Huckabee came on and said, no, this won't end the debate. It will just continue. And what the Lord was showing me is this, is that because sin leads to pain, destruction, and death, when somebody continues and wins a victory when it comes to sin and the flesh, guess what happens? They're still void. 
They're still empty. They're still in pain. They're still hurting. And so what happens is, is they won that victory in their own mind, but yet they're still hurting. And so they say, well, we got to continue and go the next step. Have you ever seen sin in your own life? It's just a little bit at first, right? The scripture says that a little bit of leaven will, will, will take forth the whole lump of, of dough because what happens is, is that just a little bit and the next thing you know it's not satisfied and you have to continue to sacrifice to the altar of self. See, the altar of self is never satisfied. Let me just give you a quick example of that. About five years ago, four years ago, the Lord removed in me and showed me that I was a people pleaser. I've shared this with you before. But let me explain to you as a pastor with people pleasing. If that's your altar, and it's the altar of self, and and it's people pleasing, at first, it will begin to take your time. It will say, well, offer your time to me, and we'll make everybody be happy, and and all this. And you'll offer your time, you'll give your time to, to to this pleasing of people, and you sacrifice this on the altar of self. And then guess what happens? It's not enough. It says, well, 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 give me, give me your marriage. It says, well, if you'll just, if you'll just sacrifice and, and stay away, you know, like just, you're going to give up more time from your marriage, but you're going to please people and they're going to be happy and they're going to like you and you're going to get applause of men. And guess what happens? It's not enough. Your marriage will be destroyed because you're giving up of this and then the altar will say, oh, well, what about your children? Lay your children down on this altar. And next thing you know, there's nothing left. You're saying, well, I'm empty, I'm void. I've given everything I've got to this idol of self. And it's done nothing. And so it's a continual process. And that is what we're going to see from now until the time that as they just saying, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king, right? Until that day happens, what we're going to see is a continual process of people trying to push the envelope because in their heart, they're void. And the only thing that will satisfy that void is the cross. And so when I woke up and saw that on Friday... My first response was, what in the world is going on? My second response was this. I shouldn't expect lost people to behave any other way than lost people. We should not expect lost people to behave like Christians. They're lost. They're lost. And let me just tell you this. It is actually a hindrance when lost people claim Christianity because they're a counterfeit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we should, not be, we should not be so upset that a lost person is acting lost. We need to share the gospel of Jesus with them. And so as I began to write down and just put what the Lord had told me, He took me to a scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we're going to be in this scripture pretty much the whole day. We're going to jump around a little bit in scripture because for me, I let scripture interpret scripture. I think that's the best way to do it. Y'all agree? And so I'm going to kind of just walk through 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 20. It says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. In verse 21 it says, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful for the master's for the master prepared for every good work. To me, that's talking about salvation there. When Christ enters our life and cleanses us, he uses our life as a vessel, a vessel of honor. What I tell people all the time, if, if, if they saw God through the message that was spoken, it's not me, I'm just a vessel. I can't fill my own vessel. The Holy Spirit fills it to overflowing for you to hear it. I'm a vessel. 
Verse 22, now flee from youthful lust, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Hey, we're all the body of Christ. All of us who call on the name of the Lord, we are the church. I was sitting there and I wanted to get like I wanted to jump up and just go crazy a few times. And I said, man, they're going to think I'm Baptocostal. And then I said, well, you know what? There is no Baptist or Pentecostal. There's none of that when it comes to the body of Christ, right? Denominations, you go back to Acts chapter 2, chapter 3. You don't see denominations. You see the body of believers. And it says in verse 22, to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Verse 23, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant, and I like to call myself a bondservant, I don't like to use the word Christian anymore because it's so diluted. Everybody wants to be a Christian. Everybody thinks that if they call themselves a Christian, then they're going to heaven. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture where it says... If I call myself a Christian, I'm going to see Jesus. It's not in there. But it says in here, it says, The Lord's bondservants must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. And they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his, and that's a little h, his will. So how do we respond to what we see going on in our culture today? As I was at this place called Disney World and walking down Main Street of what they call the Magic Kingdom, I looked around and you know what? The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, David, this ain't got nothing on your daddy's kingdom. I said, amen. That's so true. But as I walked around, I began to see so many things of the world. When you look at Galatians chapter 5, you see the, the fruit of the flesh. And it talks about the fruit of the spirit, but the fruit of the flesh. And it says what they are. And so if you want to know what I saw, I'm telling you what I saw. I saw Galatians chapter 5. I saw much of the fruit of the flesh. I also saw some of the fruit of the spirit. But I saw the fruit of the flesh. And I said, Lord, how, how do I approach this? And the Lord reminded me. That you love them. The first thing I want you to see today is that for us to do that, we must truly understand who our enemy is. I've shared this with you last time, and so this will be very brief. But we must know who our enemy is. And according to 26, it says, by him to do his will. What is the will of our enemy? See, it also says in verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been held captive. Lost people are held captive to the evil one to do his will. So what's his will? On the screens, you don't have to flip there, but Isaiah 14, 13 and 14 kind of shares a little bit of it. In Isaiah 14, and I'll flip there in my Bible. There it is. Isaiah 14, um, verses 13, go back when there we go. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven and I will raise my throne above the stars of God and I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. In verse 14, it says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will make myself like the Most High. You want to know what the will of the evil one is? Is to make himself like the will of the, or like the Most High. 
You know how I know that? It's because one, it says it in Isaiah, but it also says it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 5. When Eve is being tempted by Satan, what does he say? He says, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's the will of the evil one? It is to come in contrast to the kingdom of God, telling people that they can be their own God. So that they are deceived to be part of his kingdom and not part of God's kingdom. And so what are lost people doing? They're doing lost people things because they're doing them because they're enslaved to the evil one. And what does it do? It yields John 10.10 that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And so what we see here is that the work of the evil one in lost people's lives is to deceive them to be against the kingdom of God. So let me just tell you, as I just said earlier, it's going to get worse. Because the evil one will always be against the kingdom of light. He will always be against it. And he will never be satisfied. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, I want to remind you that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers of this day, of powers, the prince of power. It talks about how we're, it's also the rulers against world forces and darkness. See, our fight is not against flesh and blood. So let me just share this with you. As I was walking and I was in line and I was by people that were uh, definitely, definitely uh, in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the flesh. They were, uh, you could could tell that, that they did not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And I was sitting right next to them in line for 30 minutes by myself because the park was open to 1 o'clock and I was just walking around getting a message together in my heart and mind. And the Lord said, David, you know, the evil one's after him. You can either try to create behavior modification in their life, or you can allow Christ to create soul transformation. See, I think that what the Lord was telling me is that too many of us in our past, or or even in religion, has said that we've got to change people's behavior. That's not my job. My job is not to change anybody's behavior. My job is to point you to the king who can help you Get to the point of soul transformation through the blood of Jesus Christ. But if I focus on behavior modification, I can change their behavior all I want. They're still going to hell. And so the Lord said, love them. You say, David, how does all this relate into this scripture? It says in verse 24, the Lord's bondservants must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, and with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. Who's in opposition to the kingdom of God? Those who don't know him as their Lord and Savior, those who are lost. They're in opposition. To the kingdom of God. It says to correct them with gentleness, to love them, to share the love of the Father with them. And so what did I do? I sat there and I just began conversation. I began to share and just say, hey, you know, um, tell me where you're from. I didn't shun the person because remember, they're lost. They don't know Jesus. I loved them. And I shared the gospel. How do we fight this fight? Well, Matthew 5, 14 and 16 says that you're the light of the world. Is your life so different that the darkness can tell a difference in your life? When you are in a place and there is darkness all around you, do people truly see the light of Christ that's coming forth from your light, life? Are you that different than the world? Are you that different? Let me ask you this way. 
If Luke 4.18 was removed from this city, would the city even know? I think they would. But that's a sign right there of whether we are truly being bondservants of the Most High God, being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But let's go to a personal level. Think right now where you work. If you were removed from your workplace, would your co-workers even know that you weren't there? Because you're so different than the world. Your light is shining so that people can see your good works and glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven. If you were removed from your job today, would people know that the light has been taken out at your school campus? If you were removed from your school campus right this moment, would people realize that you were removed? Students that just graduated, as you walk away from your school, will people realize that there was something different about you? Will they understand, hey, this person is different than everything I'm seeing? So how do we fight the good fight against those who don't know Christ? We come against the darkness with the light. We come against the darkness with our life being transformed by the glory of God and people seeing such a difference in who we are. When we get frustrated, we're patient because it's a fruit of the Spirit. When we're wronged, we love because God's commanded us to. When somebody comes after us, we're willing to listen and and, and give them just the opportunity to to hear the truths of the gospel because we want to share truth, but we want to love them through it. The scripture in Ephesians says to speak truth in love. Do people see that difference in your life? So how do we fight against the evil one when it comes to a non-believer? I just shared with you. But I also want you to remember in Matthew chapter 5, 38 through 48, many of y'all know this as the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says to him, well, love your enemy. It says, you've heard this and said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I'm going to flip over to it. There we go. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other and give it also to him. It says, if anyone wants to sue you, take off your shirt and let them have your coat. Hey, let me tell you something. People are going to walk all over us as believers. Because that's their selfish way. That's their lost way. Somebody once told me, they said, yes, uh, I understand that as a believer, people are going to just trample over. You don't have to write the word welcome on the map, but, but they're going to walk right over. But when they walk over and see that you are loving them, even though they're taking advantage guess what? They're going to be pointed to the king. Because you can't do that in your own power. You can't do that in your own self. Your flesh is sitting there saying, I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. I'm going to take them out. And Jesus is saying, oh, but that's where you were when I was on the cross for you. Let me just get a show of hands. How many of you in this place have ever been to Disney World? Don't you wish that the church had the hospitality that they have there? Everywhere my four-year-old daughter went, they said, happy birthday. She didn't realize she had a birthday pin on. (laughs) We went to one place to eat, and my dad had on an Alabama shirt on, and the lady said, oh, y'all must be from Alabama. And we're all like, what? (laughs) But the hospitality is unbelievable. You know what? They focus on that. If you're not hospitable to somebody, you'll be fired like that. 
they can't even tell you that they don't know an answer. If they don't know something, they have to say, well, I'll go find out. They cannot tell you, I don't know. There's so many little things like that that they do to make you feel so welcome. Everywhere Leslie and I went, happy anniversary, six years. I don't know how she made it, but six years. But let me just tell you, and I'm not trying to give you any secrets away, but one day I accidentally cut one of the cast members off in the car because I didn't know, you know, the roads are a little tricky in that little area. And I accidentally cut one off in the car and, and I received a, a, a signal that probably was not the best signal. Um, some people call it a bird. But I received this signal from that person and I'm sitting here thinking, whoa, hold up, like, aren't they supposed to have the most unbelievable hospitality in the world? And they do until they get off work. They put on a mask. Think about this for a second. What you see in the hospitality at Disney World is man's best attempt to do what should come natural to a believer. Think about this. Let me say it one more time. What you see, the hospitality that you see at Disney World is man's best attempt of what should come natural to a believer. But here's the only thing. A believer never takes off. And when the Holy Spirit dwells in our heart, it is a continual flow of that. It's a continual flow. It's in complete contrast of the world. It's in complete contrast. And so the world sees this, and it says in verse 25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. And so they see the truth because they see the difference in our life. I never once said that I came against anybody and said, what you're doing is wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Is it wrong? Absolutely. But until their eyes are open to see as Christ sees, they're dead. They're lost. And so what do I do? I love them with Christ who's in me and let Christ begin to, to, to do the soul transformation. We're not about behavior modification. We're about soul transformation. But here's where the rubber really meets the road. And I think this is where the real issue is. What do we do when somebody lives like the world but calls himself a Christian? See, I think it's very clear in Scripture what we do when somebody doesn't call themselves a Christian but lives like the world. We love them. We share truth gently with them. We continue to love them. We continue to be there. Even when they walk over in their selfish ways, we understand that they don't see the way that we see because they are lost. They are dead. But what happens when there's somebody who lives like the world and says that the gospel means this or the gospel is that? I'm a Christian. God loves me even though, and it's okay. He's given me, uh, the, he's given me the okay to live in this lifestyle or that lifestyle. And they begin to take little pieces of the scripture and they begin to remove it. Here's where I think that we have messed up majorly. Because the scripture tells us, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, verse 1 and on, it says, But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revelers, disobedient to parent, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, uh, malice, gossip, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. 
And look at verse 5. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Do we not see that today? How many people do you know that claim to be a believer in Christ, but yet live like this world? They don't know Christ. They know religion. They know they don't want to go to hell. They know that there's something about Christianity, because why would they call themselves a Christian? But it says, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as these. I think it's time for the church and the presence of the church to come back into this society. I think it's time that we finally speak what is truth about what it means to be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I think it's time that we say that this gospel that that people preach that accepts sin and says that sin is okay and you can live this way and they trample over the blood of Jesus. I think it's time that we stand forth and speak the truth loud and clear. As y'all sang in your first song this morning, I was literally in tears because y'all had no idea where I was going to speak this morning. And, and I'm just sitting here. It's still the cross. You can create any type of man's religion. You can create anything. But anything outside of Jesus and the blood of the Lamb is a counterfeit to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what do we need to do? We need to quit being comfortable and saying, well, well somebody will take care of it. We need to speak up and speak loud and speak truthfully about our Jesus and about our God. Listen, it cost me everything. I laid my whole life down for the kingdom. And let me just remind you that out of the disciples, many, if not all but one, were martyred for the kingdom of God. And so maybe we need to get past the comfortableness and say, well, somebody else will take care of it and start speaking the truth of the gospel of Jesus even if it costs me my last breath. It says, avoid such men as these. In verse 16 of chapter 3, it says, All Scripture is inspired by God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. If you'll throw up that scripture from JFK for me, scripture, excuse me, that quote from JFK. I want you all to see this. This blew my mind. And by the way, uh, the person who sent me this had no idea what I was going to be speaking on today. I mean, God just put it all together. It says, The great enemy of truth is not often the lie, deliberate, contrived, and dishonest, but the myth, persistent, persuasive, and unrealistic. Too often we hold fast to the cliches of our forebearers, and we subject all facts to a prefabricated set of interpretations. We enjoy the comfort of of opinion without the discomfort of thought. Do I need to read that again? Did y'all catch that? What we've done is we've allowed people to preconceive and put together a lie about what the gospel is. And people haven't stood forth and spoken that this is a lie, it's not true. And so others have begun to believe the preconceived ideas and now they have this total misunderstanding of the gospel. It's a deception. It's a lie from the evil one who's after against the kingdom of light. And so how do we deal with it? Well, Matthew 18, 15 through 18 talks about church discipline. When you see a believer... Or you see somebody who calls himself a believer. Someone who says, I believe in Jesus, but continues in sin. We confront them. Y'all see the baptismal pool up here? 
This right here means so much to me. It's incredible. Like literally like, I just want to like jump out of the baptismal pool sometimes when, when we baptize somebody because I'm so excited about what God is doing in their life. But I tell every person, and I haven't told them this since 12 years of ministry or 11 years of ministry, I told them now that the Lord has showed me this, but I tell every one of them, I say, listen, you are proclaiming to the church that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and so you are allowing them to come alongside of you to teach, to reproof, to correct, and so if you are sitting here today and you say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and you make that proclamation, then you're giving them full authority to come and teach you and also correct you when you walk into sin and stay in sin. But you know what? That's the same goes for each person sitting in the audience. Are you taking that as serious as we're supposed to? Because I don't know about y'all, but the culture is running rampant. The evil one is continually pushing forward and continually trying to dilute the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only way for us to stand firm is to rebuke that that is not the true gospel. So what we see here is two things. We see a non-believer who knows and realizes they're not a believer. They don't claim to be a Christian. We come alongside, we love them, we teach them truth. We, we, we are gentle and speaking truth in love. We share the gospel with them. I'm not trying to change their behavior because God will change their behavior when He transforms their soul. But don't come in this place and tell me you're a believer, but God's given you permission to live like this world. And let me just be honest with you. If I fall into that, because my flesh can easily crave it, and so can everybody else's, y'all have a responsibility to speak truth to me. And I have a responsibility to do the same for you. But here's the problem. We've grown comfortable. We've set back. And now we're seeing it all over the news. And let me just tell you something. I don't care if Billy Graham was running for president. A person in the White House will not change what's happening in this world. What will change what's happening in America is revival and people falling on their face before a living God and us truly being light in a darkened world. Then they will see the truth. So you ask me, you say, David, how do you feel about what happened Friday? It doesn't bother me. It does that this is taking place and that my little four-year-old girl could be in a situation where a grown man can walk into the bathroom. Yeah, that bothers me a little bit. But on the grand scheme of things, this is just a smokescreen of what the evil one is trying to do to divert our attention against what he's doing. And let me tell you something, I woke up Friday and I'm still as passionate for the kingdom of God as I was the day before and so should you. See, we don't wake up and say, oh no, they're, 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 they're passing another agenda. There's a decree going on, so we need to fight harder today. We should have been fighting just as hard yesterday as we are today. Because see, God's given us, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the gospel of reconciliation to take to the world. And we need to be taking that to the world today. We should have been taking it to the world yesterday, and I pray you were. But we need to be taking the gospel of reconciliation to the world today. There was a pastor whose father on his deathbed said, just one more soul. We've got we to gotta share the gospel with one more soul. Just one more soul. He got it. 
He understood it. It wasn't his life anymore. He's given it all to Jesus. Every bit of it. One more soul. So let me go back to the question that I started with. If you were removed from your workplace, would people see the difference in your life? Would non-believers say, man, that person really loved me. Really spoke truth to me. He really cared about me, even though I disagree with where he's at. Would non-believers see the light if you were removed like that? Are you truly a light on a hill? Are you truly sharing the gospel with every action of your life? Is the fruit of the Spirit overflowing forth from your life? Or do you look like the world? Because if you look like the world, then we see what we need to do. We need to come and correct and train. But let me just be real with y'all. It's not just in this room. Because see, sometimes we say, well, well, this is, you know, that body of Christ should deal with, with, with that person or this body of Christ. I agree with that as long as the body of Christ or that church house is doing that work. But let me just remind y'all, we are all the body of Christ. Every denomination together. If you've got a brother and sister who may say that they're of another denomination and they're living a life of sin and, and their church house that they go to and attend is not confronting that situation, I believe that it's our responsibility in order for people to see the truth of who Christ and the cross is, it's our responsibility to speak truth in that situation. But see, we've gotten too comfortable. When it comes to church discipline, we've said, well... If we just give them one more chance, maybe they'll change. I don't want to have to deal with it. I don't want to take care of it. I don't want to have to. And let me tell you something. Our pastor has been one of the people who have, have led the banner of speaking truth in the midst of people who have led a false life of Christianity. And I thank you for that, Brother Fred. And, but here's the thing. It's not just pastors. To every person in here, you're a holy priesthood. God's called you to go be light and to speak the truth and to come against the counterfeit that's taking place every day. Every day. So what will you do? Are you bringing forth the gospel of reconciliation? Are you trying to change people? Trying to change their behavior? Are you trying to bring forth the gospel of, recon- uh, the gospel of reconciliation that brings about soul transformation? Where are you today? Hey, God's called us to love lost people. He's also called us to be there, to go. If we just sit, we just save people all the time, then we missed it. God's called us to go. In Acts chapter 19, they went away for three years to Tyrannias to study, and guess where they went back to? Ephesus. They got saved in Ephesus. They removed them for three, two, three years. They trained them and brought them back to that same place and revival broke forth. Say, David, it's a lot easier and a lot more comfortable for me just to sit back and just kind of be around my Christian people. But God's called you to go share the gospel. It's the light of the world living inside of you. Let it forth. Let it go to all those that are around you. I cannot tell you how many people, I'm going to close with this, I cannot tell you how many people, and this is not of me, I'm just going to be 100% real, it has nothing to do with me. Nothing. It has everything to do with my Lord, my, with Jesus. But I cannot tell you how many people have come up to me and said, and I had never even said a word, all I've done is smiled and just looked at them and smiled. And they said, David, 
I don't really know you, but why, what is different about you? And I tell him, it's Jesus. Amen. He saved my soul. He saved me. And so we must stand forth. We must speak truth. And we must be willing to confront the counterfeit that is going forth. So with everything that's going on with the transgender and all this stuff, what do we do? We continue to love people. We continue to share the gospel. We make sure that our light is shining. We continue to live a life that is so contrary to darkness that people see Jesus in us. That's what we do. You say, well, David, what happens if they start to take advantage of you? The scripture says to love them. The scripture says that they will see Jesus when you love them in the midst of it. And so what are you doing? I think it's time for us to get bold and to start to confront the counterfeit. I think it's time that if somebody says they believe in Jesus but yet they live like this world, it's time for us to speak the truth of the gospel and not stand down. Because the presence of the church in today's world is so missing. Let me tell you something. I worship and I serve a living God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He'll take care of me. And if somebody wants to take me home, that's fine. I'm going to see Jesus. God will take care of my family. Anybody want to be on board with that?